0: It is an honor to get to share today, and I'm going to share about something pretty important. I'm going to share about the building blocks, the tower of something that tempts all of us. And, and as I do that, I'm going to share about the secret weapon that can tear it down. Now, this, this weapon, just like a baseball bat, it is, it is effective, it is reliable, it is simple to use, And it can even be a whole lot of fun. And this weapon goes with us wherever we go. It goes with us to work. It goes with us to the house. It goes with us to the gym and the restaurant and the places we play. And it even goes with us to the ball game. Did y'all hear me? It even goes with us to the ball game, right? Well, this weapon is effective in pretty much every area of life we have. And when it gets deep in our hearts and we begin using it, it can change the world. Let's talk about this this tower a little bit before we talk about this weapon. You see, Jesus talked about this uh, dilemma that tempts us uh, as much or more than he talked about uh, uh, heaven and hell and even love. The Bible talks about this dilemma more than it talks about faith and prayer combined. And some people would say that it's this. I lost my balance there. Some people would say that this tower is built this way, and the Bible tells us about M-O-N-E-Y. But that's not it. Well, it's sort of it, but it's not fully it because, see, that sort of makes God out just to be a big fundraiser in the sky, and that's not who God is. Some people try to clarify, and they say, well, this dilemma is about our relationship with money and how we use it. And, and I would say that's not even it because that doesn't go deep enough. You see, this dilemma is about every person, every dream, in every dollar we've ever had. And it has to do with things like selfishness and ambition and fear and and, and envy and security and happiness. And this dilemma, this temptation, this tower started very early in human history. It was there when Eve wanted to eat the apple in in the garden and she wanted the the knowledge of good and evil. it was there when Cain desired the approval of, of, of his gift from God, so he killed his brother. It was there with Noah's friends who wanted it so bad that, that the whole world became corrupt. It was there with Potiphar's wife that we've heard about in our recent series because she wanted Joseph. It was there when the Hebrews, when they wanted a visible God, so they built a golden calf. It was there with, with Moses and Samson and Saul and David and Solomon and Solomon. Had everything he ever wanted said everything is meaningless it was there with kings and priests and prophets it was there with the people of Israel and God left them alone for 400 years Satan tried to tempt Jesus with it Jesus was betrayed by it and Jesus warned us about it over and over and over again And Jesus was clear about it. Jesus warned us about the temptation of greed in our lives over and over and over again. Hey, my name is Ben Cathy, and I have the privilege of being the executive pastor at Mount Top. And I want to thank you for joining in today. Whether you're here in person, whether you're online, it's a little bit of a traveling weekend for some. So thanks for being with us. And uh, today we're going to look at two places in Scripture. The first one is in uh, Luke chapter 12, and the second one is in 1 Timothy chapter 6. So if you have your Bible, maybe put a finger on those two or get ready to go to them, and uh, that's where we're going to camp out for a little bit today. But let's start with this passage in Luke as we talk about greed. So we build the tower of greed. You see, uh, Jesus is confronted, it says, in Luke 12, beginning in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, man, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And so so Jesus says, "Why, why do I want to talk about that? I want to talk about something even more important. And Jesus says this, then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And then Jesus tells uh, a parable that goes with that, that introduction. And, and I, I, I thought about getting a volunteer to help me with this parable, but, but the volunteer is going to have a part and you're going to have a part. So, so my volunteer is going to play the part of the rich farmer, and you're going to play the part of God in this passage, okay? So, so you're going to need to, to follow along a little bit here. And uh, I, just, I just thought it would be great if uh, we just invited Farmer Carter to the stage this morning. Can, 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 we, can we do that? And uh, he, he's a little country. He likes country music. and. Hi. I, wore my boot. Go. I got my boots on today you're good you're good well, well it goes like this and uh so so we got our farmer we, we you guys are going to be god for just a moment all right and so and, and so here we go and he jesus told them this parable the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest and he thought to himself do, do i have an accent sure okay you can have an accent well, what shall I do? <laughs> I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, <laughs> And there I will store my surplus grain. You're doing good. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat. Drink some tea (laughs) and be merry. You guys ready for your part? You're God. You ready? You ready? And God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Do you guys realize you just called your pastor a fool, right? I heard that. You heard that? You heard that? All right. Hey, can we give our farmer a hand this morning? Well, Jesus, the parable finishes. And God said to this rich farmer, who was not Carter, by the way, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Jesus sums it up this way in verse 21. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not Rich toward God. See, um, greed can take a hold on us. Jesus was betrayed by it. Jesus confronted it. We are all tempted by it. Somewhere in our lives, we have all experienced it. And I want to talk this morning a little bit about the building blocks of greed. So we're going to start with the G. And one of the building blocks of greed is that greed is a great trap in our life. see, 1 Timothy uh, 6, 9 says uh, that we fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires. We fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires. And and here's here's how it works. Here's how the trap works with us. We want something good. Most of the time we want good things, right? And, and so greed makes us start believing things that aren't true. And sometimes it makes us start doing things that are not true to who we are and who we want to be. So, for example, we want the, um, a, a possession that will bring us happiness. And a lot of possessions do bring us a little bit of happiness, right? So here's, here's what we do. We play the when I, then I game. And we live in this tension of when I win the lottery, when I get the promotion, when I get the raise, when I have an X amount of money in the bank, then I can get this thing and be happy, but not until then. One man told me one time when I, when I finally, when, my, when he ordered a motorcycle, and he said, when my motorcycle comes, I'll finally be happy. He was right in the middle of this trap. the contentment trap it it would work like this when I so contentment's a good thing right but when I get a better body move into a bigger house gain more friends finally get those shoes and that purse or those tools and that tv when I lower my golf score lose 10 pounds or put on 10 pounds of muscle then I'll be content you living in that place we all do sometimes it is such a temptation how about the purpose trap I mean, having purpose in our life is a good thing, but here's what we tell ourselves. We tell ourselves, when I get a better job, when I get married, when I get certified, when I have children, when I finish school, then I will have purpose. And it works with so many good things. It works with belonging. It works with security. It works with peace. When I, then I. And what we do, it's such a trap, because what we do is we leave the hope we can have in God, out of the equation. And we put all of the stress on ourselves and on our ability, and greed slips into our lives. Now, the tower of greed is built with a couple of other things. It's built with uh, a sense of relentlessness because greed is relentless in our lives. Greed tempts everybody and can enter every area of our lives. It doesn't care where you live, who you cheer for, or how you vote. It doesn't care if you're male or female, if you're educated, uneducated, rich, or poor. It doesn't care if you're an owner in management or working on the assembly line. It doesn't care if you're disadvantaged, privileged destitute or extremely middle-class like most of us. It enters our heart, our mind. It comes out in our words, in our hands, and even resides in our secret thoughts. If I could just, if I could just, then. And we can be greedy for almost anything. Sure. We can be greedy for money. I mean, that's right at the top of the list. We can be greedy for possessions. I mean, that's the classic argument, right? But we can also be greedy for for. Uh, relationships. We can be greedy for a a perfect experience with our family. We can be greedy for the success of our children. We can be greedy for (laughs) beautiful green grass with no weeds. We can be greedy with our emotions, with our bodies, with our knowledge. We can be greedy even about our church and our salvation and how we serve God. One of the reasons that Jesus told the story about the the, the widow's mite, where he was watching uh, Pharisees give money in the temple and how they were coming in, and then the widow came in and gave just two little mites, and he praised the widow. And one of the reasons that he praised the widow for her gift is because it stood in stark contrast to the Pharisees who gave a lot more money. But they came in and they did not give that money out of a sense of honor or uh, love of God, they gave it out of a sense of greed. They came over and show, and they said, look at me. I'm, I'm leaving all my coins here. Look at me. And they were greedy for status and power and reputation that came with giving money in the temple. We can be greedy with almost anything, even what we are tempting to give to God. And greed, this tower gets built in our lives. It also makes us entitled It's relentless. And at some point, we start feeling entitled. I will never, ever, ever forget being in the airport one time, and, and this um, lady, uh, a young uh, Kim Kardashian look-alike with the, the clutch and the shoes and probably even some hair extensions and a glass water bottle, um, walks up to the counter and sorry. Um, and, uh, and she walks up to the counter, and, and, and she has this conversation with the lady working behind the counter there, and the conversation escalates. And I'm sitting over there, and I'm like, this is getting uncomfortable. And then finally, this young lady, she goes like this. She goes, but I always fly first class. And she stomped off and walked in the other direction. I got to tell you, it sort of did my heart good when I I got on the plane and she was sitting in the very worst seat on the plane, the very last one back right by the two doors that go to the restrooms where everybody stands there waiting to get in the restroom. And she looked sad and dejected (laughs) like it was the end of her life. It's so easy to become entitled, though. Will I, I? I deserve this, this. This is my standard. I've been entitled. How about you? i never forget, I, w- I was given the gift of a, a full scholarship. Uh, full, I mean, full for a year of study. And uh, I mean, everything was paid for tuition, books. Uh, we took trips. The airline tickets were paid for. I, my family moved in a condominium that was paid for. It was fully furnished. And I got to step in to live on it. Everything was paid for. And then the dean would take us on trips, and we'd be out with him, and we went on about a trip a month. And when we go out, we we he would take us out to eat all 25 of us scholars out to eat and uh and and in the beginning we go like chick-fil-a we'd be like thanks dale and then maybe maybe we went to ryan's and then one or two times he took us like to outback you know and and then when he took us back to chick-fil-a guess what we were entitled for We're like, we know this program has plenty of money. Why can't he take us to Longhorn anymore? He's taking us back to Chick-fil-A. It was a free meal. And a bunch of young, energetic pastors quickly, it didn't take us three months to become entitled. And I think we all had to repent of that by the end of the year. But as we build this tower of greed in our life, entitlement leads to something else that's pretty important. It leads to envy. You see, instead of being happy for others, greed makes us sad when others have success. Let me ask an important question. What is it that you want? I mean, is it something simple? new shoes, you know, new house, maybe your car's a little old, maybe you want a new coach. (laughs) Let me ask you this, I don't know why you guys are laughing, (laughs) Let, let me ask you this, can you be happy if someone else gets it? And greed does that to us. Proverbs in 28 and 15, it tells us that the greedy stir up conflict and bring ruin to their household. This envy, this, this trap that is relentless in our lives makes us entitled and envious of other people. And it makes us incapable of ultimately celebrating other people's successes. Well, ultimately, greed brings a very powerful thing into our world it brings destruction. Over and over and over again, greed destroys everything in its path to get what it wants. And when greed enters our heart, nobody around us is safe. And our world is full of tragedy after tragedy after tragedy that began with a heart of greed. Fights over estates, ugly divorces, Ponzi schemes, slumlords, slave owners, drug dealers, sex traffickers, and warmongers all have a heart of greed and they do damage everywhere they go. But we're all tempted by it, aren't we? In fact, some of us this morning, you're, you're, you're greedy in a very certain kind of way, and I, and I just wanna discuss this with you for a minute, okay? You're greedy for the English language. You're greedy for the formatting and syntax and grammar of the English language, and you know that when you spell an English word, you do not spell it from the bottom up, but you spell it from the top down. So I just, I just want to say, as, as we move forward, I just want to fix that for you, okay? And so to those of you who were worried about that, you're welcome. Does this feel better? Are we, are we good? Are we very good? Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, I'm glad. A couple of English teachers in here, a couple of uh, formatters. Glenn didn't, you know, she she's like, oh, that's bad, right? Well, I wanted, to <laughs> I wanted to reverse that in part because now we're going to tear it down. Because God does give us the wisdom and the ability and the freedom to tear down greed in our life. He does give us uh, a secret weapon. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. Verse 17 through 19. It says this command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, be rich in good deeds. And to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And right there in the middle of that passage was the secret weapon that gets rid of greed. I got this cool bat sleeve right here. It's generosity. When we swing the simple, reliable, effective, easy-to-use weapon of generosity, the fun weapon of generosity, it can tear down greed in our lives. In fact, it's the most effective weapon against greed that there is. In fact, there may be no other way to defeat greed. So let's talk about how this works a little bit. The first thing that that, that greed does, I mean, that that generosity does is it it generates freedom in our life. See, that passage we just read from verses 17 through 19 of 1 Timothy chapter six says, but we put our hope in God and we take hold of the life that is truly life. And when we decide to be generous, it produces freedom in our life. If greed traps us, under the relentless weights of entitlement and envy and destruction, then generosity frees us from the trap that we've gotten ourselves into. And instead of putting hope in our own ability and what we can gain for ourselves, we put our hope in God and what God calls us to be and become. You want security? Security. Jesus says, don't, don't store all that stuff in brand new barns. You want happiness? Don't be greedy for it. You want contentment? You want purpose? You want, you want life that is truly life? Don't try to get it with greed. Generosity is the path. See, I'll never forget it being in Haiti on a mission trip. I've been able to go to Haiti three times on a mission trip, and they're helping uh, build a school for children and to help with educational needs in Haiti, which are hard to come by. But we're working in a village called Momonce, which um, has no electricity, no power, no restrooms, unlike any place I'd ever been before. Haiti is the poorest place in this part of the world. And I was there to be a carpenter. Haitians are very good at masonry; they don't know anything about carpentry. And so we were building a roof on this school, and we were hot and sweaty and tired. And our local guest brought us some uh, some spaghetti, and it had like one meatball on top. And I was tired, and and I ate the spaghetti and I ate the meatball, but there was about half a plate of noodles left. And I'm sitting by a window in the cool shade, and and over my shoulder there's a little tap. And I turn around, and there's a little boy in the window. And I got this half a plate of noodles, right? And, and, and when I'm in Birmingham, I throw that away, right? Because it's healthy for me not to eat the rest of it, right? But he starts pointing at the noodles. Oops. He points at the noodles. And, and, and what, he, what happens is I turn, and, and they told me, they said, Don't, don't give stuff away. You're going to cause problems. But nobody was around. So I turned and I I turned the box, I covered it and I slid it sideways and I, I slid it through the bars on the window. And do you know what he does? Do you know what he did with that? He stuck the fork in the noodles, yelled three names. It looked like his little brothers and sisters coming over to him. And before he took a single bite, he took big scoops of noodle and stuffed them in the mouths of his three little siblings. And that little boy in Haiti... Had more freedom in his life than every executive manager walking through an office hall in Birmingham, Alabama, holding on to all of his possessions like this. Generosity knocks down greed by bringing great freedom into our life. Generosity also does this in our life it resets our relationships. You see, if greed is relentless, if greed enters every part of our life, then generosity resets every part of our life. Uh, 1 Timothy tells us, chapter 6 tells us to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. Do you remember that? You see, if greed, if greed stirs up conflict, if greed ruins our household, then generosity... Resets everything for us. If greed affects every person, every dream, and every dollar, then how do we change our focus, change our direction? You want to change an attitude? Go first. Be generous. Right? You you want to solve an argument? Go first. Be generous. You want to heal? An emotional wound, As somebody who you're with on a regular basis, go first and be generous with your attitude, with your ability to win an argument, and even when the places where you think somebody has wronged you. Last week I had an opportunity to go to uh, a conference at uh, Monday and Tuesday at Stevens Creek Church in Augusta. Stevens Creek is celebrating their 35th year. They're five years older than the mountaintop. And from the very beginning, they've had some next steps. And I was impressed with their next steps. They were very good. Here's what you do next, and here's what you do next. But I was also impressed with number one. Do you know what number one was at Stevens Creek? It was this. Be nice. Their number one step to becoming part of the church and, and, and being for their community was to be nice. And I was reminded that in Romans, we find that it is kindness that leads to repentance. And I'm reminded that our ethic at Mountaintop about being for our community, maybe that's just what it means. Be nice. The world needs to know that Christians, followers of Jesus, are not greedy for the faith. They're generous to the community around them. Well, generosity resets relationships, and it gets rid of the relentlessness of greed. Generosity also works in our lives by encouraging it. Encu- generosity encu- it encourages everyone. If greed screams, "I always get first class." then generosity recognizes that we can be thankful for any seat on the airplane and nice to the people who are sitting next to us. Do people encourage you with their generosity? I've been encouraged with generosity in my life. I'll I'll tell you a story about um, four or five years ago. I was brand new at Hope Church, and uh, uh, somebody hit me up on Facebook Messenger, and they said, hey, pastor, and th- they weren't from Hope Church. They were, I was their pastor from before Hope Church, and they said, hey, pastor, give me your address. I sent him back address, and uh, about two weeks later, I get a check in the mail, not for me, for the church. I get a check in the mail for, for $2,000. And a little note that says, God's blessed me, and um, I just want to bless you and your new position, and I hope your church is really successful. Man, that, that didn't even meet even a portion of a percent of our budget, you know? But it was so encouraging. And so I go to, like, finance meeting. I say, yeah, I got friends who send money to the church. <laughs> yeah. No, not really. But it encouraged all of us, Right. And sometimes um, it doesn't take $2,000, but the the simplest things can encourage us. You know, we can encourage with money. We can encourage by being generous with our possessions. But we can also encourage by being generous with our time, with our family, with our abilities, with, with our emotions, with our presence. With our knowledge, by being generous with our church. Church is not a territory. It's not a territory. It's a place where we begin a mission together. Well, generosity tears down entitlement by encouraging everyone. Generosity also does this. It energizes contentment. You see, when we help others, it energizes contentment. Um, if if greed makes us envious, then generosity makes us thankful. I'll never forget. Uh, well, I've told you four things I'll never forget, and I never will. <laughs> um, Dan came to stay with me. Dan was a missionary and a uh, PhD student who was doing research, and he needed a little help, and he was researching my church, and he interviewed the staff at my church, and he also interviewed some people in the a couple of churches that were nearby and Dan stayed at my house and I showed him our spare bedroom and gave him the bedroom, had some towels on the bed and I, and we had a third car. So I was able to hand him the keys to that car. And I said, you, you go where, you know, you use it. And I showed him the kitchen and I said, here's the cabinet with all the snacks in it. And I said, "Dan, I said, we just, we just want you to, to have a good time in our house. He was with us about four days. And at the end of that four days, he he looks at me in June and he says, I just want you to know you guys are very generous people. And I was like, what? And he goes, well, he says, you gave me the bedroom, you gave me the car, you gave me free reign of food, and you've not asked for anything in return. And I went, oh, I guess we were generous. But I got to tell you, instead of just having a spare bedroom, that became the bedroom that Dan, the missionary and PhD student, stayed in. Instead of just having a a third car, that became the car that did important research for the future of the church. And instead of just having Cheez-Its in the closet, those became cheese-flavored crackers fit for a king. Now, I took that a little bit too far. Um, The Cheez-Its stayed Cheez-Its. And when we're generous, it energizes contentment in us see, generosity generates freedom. It resets relationship. It encourages those around us. And, and in doing so, it energizes contentment in us. So instead of being envious, like greed brings, we become content, like generosity brings. Generosity does something else really, really important. There's such contrast between greed and generosity. Did you notice in that first passage where we had the farmer that spoke country? In in that first passage, it says this very night your life will be taken from you. Like your greed will take your life from you. And then in that second passage when we talked about generosity, it says you'll have life that is truly life. Here's the thing. Jesus didn't defeat death. Generosity does defeat death. Jesus didn't defeat death because he was greedy. Jesus didn't defeat death because he was greedy for life. Jesus defeated death because he was generous with his life. And I believe that the scripture tells us that Jesus is calling us to join him, not in being greedy for life, but in bringing life to ourselves and to the world around us because we are generous people, because we choose not to allow the trap of greed, the relentlessness of greed. We choose not to allow entitlement and enviousness, and we choose not to allow destruction to enter our life. But instead, we make the choice to follow Jesus by being greedy. We follow his example. Scripture tells us that while we were yet sinners, while Jesus knew we would wrong him, he knew we would betray him, and he still died for us so that we could be free. Jesus chose generosity, and each of us is invited to follow him. And that's why at Mountaintop, we don't tell you what we're against. Because we wanna position our heart where we're not greedy to gain territory, to gain market share, to get more members, to, to let everybody know that we're right and they're wrong. What we want to do is we want to be generous in our community and let everybody know that God is for them and that we are for them, that we are for each of them, that we are for the families who live next door, and that we are for this whole city. And that because God lives in us and he has been generous to us and he has given us new life, that now we can spread that life wherever we go. 1 Timothy. Chapter 6, verses 18 and 19. Command them to do good, it says, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Generosity, (laughs) generosity defeats the death that greed brings and the death that the devil wants to bring in this world and the death that greedy people bring into the world. Generosity brings life to our soul and it can bring life to our neighbor and those who have ears to hear. Let's act. God is so good that he gives us the perfect secret weapon to overcome the temptation and the tower of greed in our lives. And somebody somewhere said, Amen.